0: Hey, thank you for joining me on Closer to the Fire from the Voice of the Martyrs Canada with a focus on the persecuted church. On this program, we're going to be hearing from two men who are imprisoned for their faith in Jesus and their Christian activities, Dan Bauman in Iran and Andrew Brunson in Turkey. Todd Nettleton, who is the host of the Voice of the Martyrs Radio in the U.S., will be interviewing these two men from our recent Imprisoned for Christ online conference, but before we go to those interviews, I want to give you some background information. In 1997, Dan Bauman went on a two-week visit to Iran. He went to share about the love of Jesus. Well, Dan and his friend were arrested on false charges, and eventually that led to two death sentences for Dan. Now, Dan admits while in prison that he really struggled with his faith and started to ask the questions. And I think we would probably ask those same questions in that situation. Was God with me? Did he love me? And if God is good, why would he allow me to go through this situation? Dan says he remembers waking up one morning. He said, I was done inside. And I'm thinking to myself, if I'm going to be here for the rest of my life, why not check out? My only thought was not to stay there. And the only way not to stay there was to die. Four times Dan tried to take his own life. Todd will also be talking to American pastor Andrew Brunson, who spent two years imprisoned in Turkey on what the U.S. called bogus charges. Now, his case created an international crisis between the U.S. and Turkey, a NATO ally. And for Brunson, like Dan, also caused a crisis of faith. He battled with depression and he, too, considered suicide. Well, let's go to those interviews here's todd nettleton with andrew brunson and dan bauman and the first question is to andrew
1: you both have been incredibly honest about your story even the really dark points in your story did you ever have any hesitation about that about being so open that man there were times i was mad at god there were times i thought about killing myself did that ever give you pause to be so transparent about how much suffering there was?
2: No, I, I, I think I pledged to God during early on in my imprisonment, that if I, if I ever get out, I'm going to be very honest about my weakness. And one reason is that I feel like the uh, stories that I'd heard before did not prepare me for the difficulties I went through. Now, the prison, It may be that some of the prison biographies are, are, you know, that they really were that heroic, you know. And uh, they're just very strong people. I think some of the Chinese are like that. And yet what I have heard from others after getting out of prison is that many believers have the same kind of experience that I do, where they go into uh, experiencing a time of silence of God or feeling abandoned. and they really struggle. And so the examples that we've heard about are often, I mean, I had people saying to me, Andrew, just sing your way out of prison. Worship your way out of prison. And that's a really good idea. It's, real, it's true. We <laughs> should do that. But the reality is I was just trying to survive spiritually and in every other way. And I worship was part of that. But I didn't feel this rejoicing, you know, welling up inside of me. And, and my, my, you know, cynical uh, answer to some would have been, you know, Paul and Silas, <clears throat> that's the example they use. You know, they, they just worshipped in prison. I thought they were only there for one night. <laughs> <laughs> but the other part of it is, how were they worshipping? You know, was it really happy-clappy? Or was it a sacrifice of praise in their pain, just saying, I am still going to worship God? And so... One of the things I wanted to underline with talking about my weakness, and I was, I think, relatively strong when I went in. I would have thought that about myself, is that uh, it really broke me. It was more than I can handle, and it can be really hard. And this is one of the reasons that I so value Voice of the Martyrs, is that you are serving uh, people who are often in other countries that nobody knows, and, and yet you're serving people who are really going to be honored in heaven.
1: What about you, Dan? Did did you have any pause of of saying, I was so far down, I was thinking about killing myself? Did Did you hesitate to tell that part of the story?
3: Yeah, I mean, I never wanted to tell it. It just seemed like, why would people want to hear about that? Because for me, it was the darkest moment. Like, yeah, you just want to hide, you know? That's not going to encourage anyone. (laughs) And yet it's that openness that has really helped a lot of people. And yeah, I'm just so honored, just so honored. I mean, I've always felt needy and a person who just needs a lot of help. I've never felt strong. And so for me and my prison experience, it was just it seemed like just a continuation of that, but with much greater circumstances. I slept maybe one hour a day the first two weeks. I was a nervous wreck. I'm not a good prisoner. (laughs) And uh, yeah, throughout my life, I've become aware and overwhelmed at the grace and the forgiveness of God. And prison was just that again
1: on steroids, like how good he is. Jesus talked about counting the cost of following him. Both of you were working in Muslim environments, places where Christians are persecuted. How much had you thought about, I could go to prison for this, you know, I could end up in prison. How much had you counted the cost ahead of time and how much of it was kind of a surprise to you when you got there that, wow, I didn't realize this would be a part of of what I was doing?
2: So I had counted the cost for martyrdom. That was something that it doesn't happen that often necessarily, but that was what I thought was a more likely thing because in Turkey, I was the first person in living memory who has been uh, put in prison for his faith. Now I think that is going to change. I think there will be others who will, especially the national, uh, the Turkish believers, who will experience that in the future, but I was the first one in, in recent memory. So I hadn't really thought of that. And, you know, I, I don't know even if. I suppose people do count the cost for prison. I had not counted the cost. I'd counted the cost for maybe attacks or, you know, martyrdom, but not that.
3: Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it, just to be honest. Again, no no saying that I had any grandeur thoughts or whatever, but I not to honor or exalt me in any way, but... Yeah, ever since I gave my life to Jesus, I was just aware that I could have problems and I could be killed. And it's something that I've lived life knowing could happen uh, with, yeah, a degree of excitement to get to heaven. And I uh, don't know when that is. Hopefully not soon. But yeah, there's, yeah, so it was like something that I've, I've dealt with many throughout my life.
2: The reality is that even if I had kind of, if I thought that was a possibility, I probably would have had this very idealized view of what it would be like. It's just going to be a great time with Jesus in prison, you know, and, and it was so different from what I had uh, expected that it could be. It was, it was more difficult. As Dan said, he's not a good prisoner. I was not a good prisoner either. And I kept thinking during my imprisonment, you know, there are some of my friends who I think would do much better than I do. But the truth is that we don't really know until we're put in those circumstances also. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: I love what you said about, you know, God, you chose the wrong guy for this. This is I'm not the right person. You should have chose someone else. One of the things Andrew that that you talked about and that you write about in your book is the act of the will. I don't feel this, God, but I've decided as an act of my will, I am going to worship you. I am going to believe in you. How hard is that when you're in that sort of high pressure, intense, persecuted environment? How hard is it to really make that commitment?
2: Yeah, so that was the only thing I could do in a sense. My emotions were so up all over the place, scattered. And so uh, I had to make decisions. And there is a a gritty determination that you have to exercise. It's not easy. I don't want to. All of my emotions are against it. But what I say again and again is, in the end, I made that decision, even though it was difficult. And it was one that I had to make again and again. I choose to turn to Jesus. I choose to dance. I choose to leave those doubts and questions in the lockbox. I choose, I choose, I choose. Now, I don't want to uh, underline so much uh, the strength of my will. As much as, as I make those choices, to me, as I've said before, it's, it's the one degree difference. Mm-hmm. Am I choosing to turn one degree toward God or one degree away? And that's all the difference. Once I start to do that, then it brings, it's a cooperation with God's grace. Now, I will say honestly, I was disappointed with the level of grace that I uh, that i experienced that i could tell that i was experiencing as i look back now i see that grace brought me through and that i had a great deal of grace but it was for the most part an unfelt grace and we often i think or i'll speak for myself had the expectation man i'm just going to have abundant grace something palpable something i can sense Somehow that wasn't the case. There was enough grace to take me through. But then I think also of Vermbrandt and his companions who end up losing their sanity. And somehow that grace did not keep them sane. And so it's more difficult than we think sometimes. And what I, you know, people said to me sometimes, Andrew, this was just a real exercise of you, trusting God. I think, no, it really wasn't. That would... Be giving me too much credit. It was really more I, a devotion, a devotion to him. And the way that I would describe it now, uh, it's hard for me to use the word trust because often we link trust to an outcome. You know, I'm trusting God that this will happen. And the truth is that there are no guarantees when it comes to suffering. There's no verse in the Bible that said, Andrew, you're going to get out of prison. Now I would say it in this way, leaning into the leadership of Jesus. I'm leaning into his leadership, saying you are a good leader and I w- I'm going to trust your leadership in my life even if I don't understand it. And I'm going to lean into that leadership and just cling to you.
1: Even if I don't know where you're going, I'm gonna follow. That's, that's, I think that's a good message for our listeners and for those who are watching because maybe we're not in prison Uh, But there's challenges, there's hardships that we face, there's suffering that we go through. And like you say, we can make that choice to say, I am going to follow. I am going to lean into the leadership of Jesus. I want to talk a little bit about loving your enemies. And Dan, you have the amazing story of, of God really challenging you that while you're being beaten. Dan, how about if you love this guy? I wondered, Andrew, if you had any times in prison where God
2: kind of sent a similar message to you. I'm still working on that. That, That's a good answer. No, I I had a time uh, where, uh, at my third trial session, uh, it was a kangaroo court, and it was very clear that, as much as I did to answer all the accusations, that it really didn't matter. Uh, And so uh, I determined that I would uh, use that as an opportunity to show how does a Christian respond in, the, in these circumstances. So I made a, a point of uh, basically of forgiving uh, publicly those who were testifying against me. And that, that was an important step uh, to, to show that forgiveness. But it, it's also realistically it's something that I have to work on. Uh, the emotions aren't always in that. It takes time for the emotions to up, catch up with the decision.
1: And again, it's an act of the will. You make that decision, and you talked about that as well, Dan. Most of us probably who are, who are watching this tonight, we're probably not going to go to jail for our faith in Christ. But if we are advancing the kingdom, if we are being an ambassador for Christ, we are going to make enemies. So how do you advise us? to love our enemies and to make that a part of our lifestyle of following Christ, that we even love the people who hate us.
3: I mean, yeah, for me, it's just really, really simple, something I had to live out in the flesh in a very dramatic way there in prison. But yeah, the greatest two commandments, love God and love people. And yeah, as we walked towards that reality in life of loving people and then loving hard people and loving people who don't like you and loving people that hate you, people that cause you problems, big problems, people that have hurt you in the past, it all has to do with a greater invitation at that moment to trust the sovereignty of God. So is the sovereignty of God good enough in this moment? Or this love your enemies, you know, love your enemies or love everybody else. That's what we're told to do. There are some loopholes. Actually, there's no loopholes. The loopholes, what I have had to discover is that God's greater and more beautiful than anything I could ever imagine. And so as I trust to live out his principles, he will take care of me. And that's something that God wants us just to grow in, a growing understanding of that he's really
1: trustworthy. Do you have any advice, Yeah, Andrew? I think
2: Dan probably has done a better job on this than I have. I'm, I'm, I'm still wanting to grow in this. I and, know. Um, But he's also further down the road, and I think that's a part of that. One, one of the things is that uh, when we talk about loving our enemies, maybe some people think about this as being an emotional love. And what Noreen and I both have in our hearts now, as we left the country, so this is after two years, let me say the real hardship is I didn't know that it would only be two years. You know, I would have counted the days down. It would be difficult, but counting the days. And I think Dan had the same experience. We did not know until the day we were released that we were being released. So it's that uncertainty. But as we left the country, we were able to say uh, we love Turkey. And this is what, again and again, we said in media interviews: We love the people of Turkey, in spite of what we've gone through. We still love. And so, I would say the love here is not an emotional toward my enemies. Uh, maybe it can become that. Uh, I think that's something that Richard Vermebrant really had: was a love for his persecutors. That was not. I would say that the love that we have is expressed in a commitment to see blessing come to them and the kingdom of God still touched their lives. And so emotionally, it's not that I'm overflowing with these feelings uh, of affection toward my persecutors. It's more, I say, I am committed to see the, the kingdom of God and the blessing of God come to you.
1: One of the things you talked about, Andrew, was how Richard Wormbrand inspired your time in prison. Dan Bauman inspired your time in prison with with his story. I wonder if you would just just talk to Dan about what that meant, that that you read his book and the things you learned, and you talked about
2: the concept of the lockbox.
1: Just talk to him and and let us kind of listen in.
2: Yeah, so uh, the lockbox actually didn't come from his experience in prison. It came from a second book on fear. And as I read that, it really struck me because uh, I became aware that... uh, the the offense in my heart toward God was suffocating my relationship with Him. And I think this is one of the most important things from my time in prison was was dealing with that offense. Uh, And it's something that I think that everybody, you know, people say to me sometimes, oh, Andrew, you know, they're talking about one of their hardships. And they say, oh, but yours was more difficult. I say, you know, wait, wait, because my uh, tests were enough to knock me out of friendship with God and your tests are enough to knock you out of your friendship with God. And many people experience, we could call it the silence of God in a moment of crisis. And uh, so we all have the potential of becoming offended toward God. And Jesus talks about this offense, is the love of many will grow cold. This comes from offense. And so uh, this is something that I have, uh, that was so important to me, saying, I am going to lock this away. I will not allow offense to define my relationship with God. And so the reading Dan's book at that time was so critical. And I, I marked that as a turning point. That was, you know, the dancing uh, was so important. There were a number of other things I did as disciplines, but that was one that allowed me to begin to receive truth again. Up to then, oh, it's You know, the Bible, yes, but. Or Noreen, when she visited me and would say something, well, yes, but. I always had an answer, a cynical answer. But when I put those things away in the box, it was like, oh, I still had, I still struggled. Oh, I still had despair and hopelessness. But I was on a different trajectory.
1: So how do you respond to that, Dan? That's something you wrote God used to get Andrew through a dark time in prison
3: yeah I mean I'm just overwhelmed overwhelmed that my simple little journey could help others. you know I, I just get overwhelmed at gratefulness to God, how yeah, he taught me that later in life and how it could help others you know i just I just get so excited, and it gets me even more excited that whatever we're learning, whatever we're experiencing. And whatever we're discovering of the character of God, yeah, we can share it, make it known, because you never know it could help someone else. And so I
1: just feel so honored that it got to help him. Were there some stories that you knew that helped you during your time in prison? I know as a, as a child, your family had the Voice of the Martyrs magazine on the coffee table. So I right. know you, you knew some stories of persecuted Christians. Were there ones? that while you were in prison, you particularly thought of or God particularly brought to your mind?
3: I mean, I rehearsed all the stories you read about, stories I'd you know, thought about, and um, basically none of it mattered. <laughs> and it led me to trying to commit suicide. Like I was done, I was done, done, done. Because you felt like you didn't
1: measure up to what other people had.
3: I never measured up. They seemed so holy. They seemed like they could handle persecution. They could handle, you know, you know, hardship. Like they, you know, many of my books you read about them rejoicing in God. I'm like, what? Are they crazy? Like I was just down. I was just so, so done. And my story is just that. Yeah, I had a vision after suicide attempt of Jesus still wanting me. He doesn't just want me when I'm doing great. He wants me when I'm a jerk. (laughs) I'm like, what? Why would God like me? And that God liking me began to become this sovereign beauty over every emotional up or down, every challenge I would face. And it caused me to walk into a place of deeper, deeper trust in him because I knew that he wanted me even at my worst.
1: And that's a great encouragement to us, to each of us who are watching. Maybe we're at that point right now. We we're at our worst, uh, and we need to hear that message. So I, I think part of your transparency, part of the blessing of your transparency is being willing to say, yes, I was at my worst and God carried me through that, and God was still there. Hmm. You know, I've had former prisoners talk to me and say, well, I I sometimes miss being in prison because God was so close to me there. I don't sense that either (laughs) one of you would say, I sometimes miss
2: being in prison. Well, no, actually, I remember hearing this, a story that Richard Vernerbant told one of my friends uh, years before, that he missed sometimes his uh, solitary confinement cell because of the intimacy he had with God there. And sometimes he wished he were back there. And when I heard that, I said, that is just crazy. What's wrong with this guy? And I do not miss being back in prison, but I will say that the conditions of my imprisonment, you know, just the desperation, the hopelessness, they really drove me to run after God in a way that I hadn't before. And so I was desperate just for survival, spiritually, emotionally. In every sense, I was so focused in on him. And the, the daily fight to line up with his priorities and uh, to live for the day I stand before Jesus, I miss that. I don't want to be in that situation again. But the conditions drove me desperately to seek God. And the reality is that in my normal life, I miss that desperation. I'm not running after him in the same way. Oh, I love him and I'm still going after him, but there's not the same desperate hunger for him. So in that sense, I, I miss, I don't miss prison. I miss the pressing into God that I had in prison. The intensity of the focus. Yeah. Mm. Would you say that, Dan?
1: Uh,
3: no. <laughs> <laughs> no, just to be honest, yeah, I do not miss Iranian prison at all for any reason. Really I don't glad. mess up
2: in
1: prison. Right. No, I, I understand.
3: Yeah, yeah no, I, I'm i grateful for things God taught me there. But I would never ha- desire to go back to that, for God to teach me that again or to teach me that in other ways. I am just so grateful I'm not there.
1: <laughs> I'm, amen. I, I think all of us can say, yep, I understand that. I I don't want to go back there either. (laughs) Talk to me a little bit about what it meant that people all over the world were praying for you. And how did you find that out? And then what did it mean to say, literally, all around the
2: world, there are people praying for you by name
1: while you're in prison?
2: So first I felt unworthy of this when I found out how it was growing, Uh, especially when I heard that there were many that there were millions of Chinese praying for me. And so I thought, oh, how can this be? They have so many of their own prisoners. Why are they praying for me? So I felt unworthy of it. I also felt frustrated because, you know, Dan tells a story in his book about how he's in Afghanistan falling off a cliff. And one person across the world prayed for him at that instant, and then God saved him. And I was like, God, why do you save Dan with one prayer and with me you have millions of people praying for me and it's not happening? <laughs> so, uh, But, but what, hap- what really turned things around in a way is I began to see that God had a purpose in my imprisonment, uh, that he was using me to be a magnet for prayer, uh, to, to, pour million- to turn millions of eyes to Turkey into that region. And I believe that I had an assignment to prepare for harvest, and I came to realize that my time in prison was part of that assignment, that millions of people began to pray for that area. And so I actually began to fear, God, I'm of more use to you in prison than I am out of prison, so how long will you keep me? But the the prayer, it was what I asked Noreen when she visited me. I would say, Noreen, are people praying for me? And I was just desperate to know that there were that the body of Christ was standing with me and that I had not been forgotten. And uh, this is what took me through week after week, knowing people are still praying, they're still praying. And that's one of the things with Voice of the Martyrs is as you gather prayer and focus it in on people who don't have others praying for them, it really makes a difference. It, just knowing that we have brothers and sisters who are standing with us is so important in continuing to be faithful.
1: How about you, Dan?
3: Um, I had no idea anyone even knew I was in prison. It was five weeks in that I even had any real information that anyone even knew. And that's when I had a time to meet the embassy workers for the Swiss embassy five weeks in and they said they knew about it. That's the first time I knew anyone even knew I was in prison. And then from that day, especially once I got out, hearing of the millions and millions that prayed for me, overwhelmed with gratefulness overwhelmed. Like, why, why, why would I get the privilege of those kind of focused prayers? I just felt so unworthy and so grateful. And so, yeah, I just overwhelmed. But what excited me the most is that maybe all that knowledge of my situation causing prayer would be a huge increase of prayer for Iran. And I got so excited once I learned all this post being out of prison, how much people were praying for Iran at that time. And yeah, there were actually great political changes in Iran right after my situation. And so the amount of prayer and what it did, oh, got me so excited.
1: It's interesting because, you know, Peter was in prison in Sudan. We're seeing some changes right now in Sudan maybe based like you say on some of those people who prayed for Sudan when he was in prison we've mm-hmm. seen changes in Iran we're praying for change in Turkey and as you say literally millions of people are praying for Turkey uh, it is there is something about that, that that those prayers add up and they the weight of them does, break down barriers and yeah. does make change in that yeah. country and in that culture. So uh, I want to encourage you if uh, one of the things we want to come out of this evening is that you will commit to pray for the people who are still in prison right now, because there are Christians around the world who are. And so we want out of this, we want to grow a movement of prayer for those. Andrew and Dan, I know I wish we had hours to talk, but but last question. Um, How do you pray for Christians in prison now and is it different from how you prayed for Christians in prison before you were in prison?
3: I mean, for me, for sure, it's different than I used to pray. I used to only pray before that God would get them out and I still pray that, (laughs) but I've added a huge thing into that, that they would know the love of God in a way that would blow their minds, that they would know the, the hug, the, the warmth, the reality of the love of God, especially in areas of complete condemnation and complete distancing themselves from God or feeling completely unworthy, they would know the love of God. And yes, I want them to get out, but I also want them to get that revelation.
2: I pray for them what I prayed for myself in prison many times father God pour out on them I said I used to say for myself and I would name my family uh, the pour out on your sons and daughters the courage the strength uh, put in whatever you want the courage the strength the hope the confidence the perseverance endurance and steadfastness of Jesus that we may run the race up before us and finish well a beautiful bride. Tested in the fires of faithful obedience. Uh, actually, purified in the fires of faithful obedience. Tested and found worthy for beloved of Jesus, the King of glory. This was my prayer. Is that, is that I finish well. And so, yeah, I want them to be free. Uh, my mother surprised me. <laughs> my mother is very kingdom-minded. Uh, when people were starting to pray for my release, she started to stop people and say, no, let's... Pray that Andrew not be released until these purposes are accomplished. No, no, no. You know, I, obviously, I, because of what I went through, I would have a lot more. Uh, I understand the struggle that many in prison uh, for their faith would go through, and I want them to have the presence uh, of God that I did not sense. I would love for them to have it. I'd love for them to have encounter with God. I begged for encounter during that time and didn't receive it. So I. Uh, I asked for those things for them, but especially that the spirit of Jesus would fall on them and that they would run their race well and finish well and be faithful to him.
1: Dan, I think your mom prayed a very similar prayer to that.
3: Yeah, when she found out that I was in prison in Iran, in the first public prayer meeting, she prayed, God, do not let him out of prison till all your purposes are fulfilled. And I'm so glad others were praying. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so, so honor my mom for, yeah, living in a place with God so much deeper and greater than I've ever seen in my own journey of trusting God, even at the most radical point. I'm so honored. Yeah. It's
1: an amazing legacy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
3: Oh my goodness.
1: Dan and Andrew and Peter, thank you so much for Being willing to be transparent and being willing to share even the dark stuff and and the goodness of God, Uh, we're so appreciative that you spent this time with us.
3: It's an honor to be with you. Thank you.
1: I wanna thank you for being with us this evening. You know, Peter and Dan and Andrew have been released from prison. They are free today. But there are thousands of Christians around the world who are still in prison. There are people in China who are in prison right now. There are families under pressure by the Communist Party. There are hundreds of people in Eritrea who are in prison for the name of Christ. Some of them are held in underground cells where the sun never reaches, there's never light. Some of them are locked in metal shipping containers. And so in the heat of the summer, it's blisteringly hot In the cool of the winter, it's very cold. And they are left in these containers for months and even years. Thousands of our brothers and sisters are in North Korean prison camps right now. Where the government has put them away. And if you're a Christian in North Korea, it's not just you that goes to the camp. It's also your parents and your children. Because they think if they arrest three generations, then they can wipe out what they would call wipe out the stain of Christianity from their nation. You know, I, I, as we've heard the stories today, I, I believe some of those Christians might be at the point where Dan was at. They might be in that bleak darkness where they're wondering, God, have you forgotten about me? What I hope that will come out of this evening is that you will commit to pray for our Christian brothers and sisters who are imprisoned for the name of Christ. Not just pray this evening, but that this will become a regular part of your prayer time. And Voice of the Martyrs will help you do that. We'll send you a prisoner prayer band that you can wear on your wrist. We'll equip you with prayer requests. But I hope as you've heard these stories, you understand that these are our brothers and sisters. And in your heart, you say, Lord, I will pray for them. I will not Forget them. I hope you'll join me right now. Let's just pray together for our brothers and sisters who are in prison for Christ. Father, we thank you for the hope of eternity with you. And Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters who maybe right now are losing their grip on that hope. Maybe they are in the darkness of an underground cell in Eritrea. Maybe they're in a prison camp in North Korea. Lord, will you give them hope? Will you supernaturally let them know that we are praying for them, right? Even at this moment, Lord, through your spirit, they can understand that. Lord, give them sustenance. Give them enough food to eat today. Lord, if they are sick, restore them to health. But more important, Lord, than their physical needs, we pray for their spiritual needs. We pray that they will have the strength and the courage and the will to lean into the leadership of Jesus Christ for one more day, for one more day. Lord, as we pray for them, we pray for ourselves as well. Help us to be bold in advancing your kingdom where we're at, in our workplace, in our school, in our neighborhood. Help us to understand that that being embarrassed is a small price to pay to advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ and help us to be willing to do that, willing to endure, willing to lean into your leadership, even though it's not in a prison cell, but it's wherever we're at. Father, thank you for challenging us. Thank you for encouraging us. Thank you for the fact that you are faithful, even in a solitary confinement cell. And Lord, we pray that you will take each of us and allow us build the commitment in our hearts to continue to pray, not just this evening, but every day for our brothers and sisters, your children who are in prison around the world for your name. We ask this Lord in Jesus name, amen.
0: Thanks so much, Todd, for praying. It's something that we need to continue to do. And there are a number of tools out there to be praying for the persecuted church. One of those, and I would highly recommend it, it is the Persecution and Prayer Alert from the Voice of the Martyrs Canada. And you can get the information by just clicking on the link on the show notes. It comes out every Thursday Thursday. It's usually about three items from around the world, uh, what our persecuted brothers and sisters are going through, and we can pray for them. It's one of the most important things we can do. You know, both Dan and Andrew, as they shared, it was finding out, and sometimes after the fact that people were praying for them, how encouraging that was. And boy, did I appreciate their honesty, the struggles they had. You know what? It is not easy to follow Jesus in this broken and dark world. And there are times, and we do have a crisis in our faith, but God has not forsaken us. And sometimes it's when we look back and say, God, what were you doing in my life? I felt that you had abandoned me. And we find out, no, he hadn't abandoned us at all. He was with us. By the way, if you'd like to hear Andrew and Dan's complete messages from the Voice of the Martyrs in prison for Christ online conference, there's also a link on the show notes. Hey, thanks for listening. And remember, the closer you are to Jesus, the closer you are to the fire.